Welcome to the Truth to Power podcast from Churches Together in Britain and Ireland. These recordings were originally streamed as live webinars where we brought together key people from across the church and society to discuss significant contemporary issues. This is the much anticipated follow-up to our Black and Blue webinar from last year. It explores the police's engagement with local communities and young people. It looks at racism, stop and search and related law and order issues. Welcome, good evening. My name is Les Isaac and I want to welcome you to the CTBI and Synergy Network webinar. This webinar is the third that we've been having entitled Blue is the Colour. It's a feature opportunity, further opportunity from present serving police officers as well as youth workers. And you'll be hearing from them. But just before I introduce them, just a few things. Please, please, please put any questions you have in the chat, send us a message, and we'll do our very best to sort of get your question heard and answered tonight. But as you know, like all of these things, many people put questions and sometimes we're unable to answer or respond to all of them. But please do send them in. Um, if you don't um, get your question answered, please, please, please just bear with us and um, just go for it. But I just really believe that this is going to be a great evening. And I'm really excited about the fact that we have with us Andy George who is the president of the National Black Police Association. And you're gonna hear from him. We've been having a little technical problem from Baraz Nabad, who's the chair of the Southwell Black Police Association. So we've been on here since seven o'clock. There's a little technical problem. We hope that he'll be able to join us later on. Then we have um, Chief Inspector Jeff Booth um, from the Metropolitan Police Service and um, you're gonna hear from him. We've got Ami Barami, um, she is the foundation, um, she is the founder and the CEO of a Christian youth charity called the Hebe Foundation. And then we have Leanne Jacobs, um, who has for over 13 years of experience working with young people in London. So we'll hear from her and hear her perspective. And then we have Dari, Ade to Bari, okay, um, and I hope I pronounced it. I'm sorry if I didn't. Um, he's a lead pastor of the RCCG um, Kingdom um, Connection, and he's all the way in Dublin. So I want to welcome you all and thank you all very much to be part of this um, engaged um, conversation this evening. I'm going to turn over to my co-host, Rosemary Mallet. Hi, good evening. I'm Rosemary Mallet. I'm a, a priest in the Church of England. I'm the Archdeacon of Croydon. It's fantastic to be here for this um, next uh, follow-up from our first Blue is the Colour webinar. As you can hear from the, um, the introductions, we're going to be engaging with uh, people who are in the diverse communities in uh, four nations. So that's going to be fantastic to hear from people throughout 
uh, Great Britain and also from the Republic of Ireland. Uh, amazing bringing all these people together. We're gonna hear from young people. We're gonna hear about issues of institutional racism, issues of stop and search, law and order issues. And we're gonna hear about how perhaps lockdown have affected young people and the way in which they have engaged with the police through this period. So time-wise, each speaker is going to have around five minutes to talk. Perhaps they're gonna just expand a little on their own introductions of who they are and what they do. Um, it's just going to be a you know face-to-face -face verbal conversation, so don't be looking for PowerPoints at all. That's not going to happen. After the presentation, there's going to be a Q&A. Again, as uh, Pastor Les says, put those questions into the, the, the chat so that we can, the question and answer, so that we can pick them up. And we have about 40 minutes um, for questions. Um, and I know there's going to be a lot of things that are going to come through, so please do um, uh, put those in. But now it's time to listen uh, to our speakers. And the first person that we're going to have speak to us is Andy George, president of the National Black Police Association. Good evening, everybody. It's great to be here. Um, as I said, I'm Andy George. I'm a police officer in just outside Belfast in the police service of Northern Ireland, having just completed around about 21 years. Um, and also the president of the National Black Police Association. In relation to my career, I joined at a, a very young age. I, I literally turned 20 in October, joined in November, having always wanted to be a police officer. For me, I suppose some of those experiences I had as an, an ethnic minority person growing up in Belfast or outside Belfast and, and in Northern Ireland in general, um, I was often the only person from an ethnic minority that looked visibly different to everybody else. So for me, I suppose a lot of the early experiences I had really give me a, a strong community drive and a drive to help others. And that's probably what drew me towards the police service. Um, I had a lot of friends and relatives that were in the police service in Northern Ireland at that time. So had a general understanding of what it was. So there, I didn't have the same barriers perhaps as others. I think whenever I joined back in 1999, the police service in Northern Ireland, um, I was probably one of about 10 or 15 officers from an ethnic minority and 13 and a half thousand police. Um, but the population at that time as well was only 0.5% of the population were from black, Asian or minority ethnic backgrounds. So again, big challenges in, in kind of how we were coming in, how we were potentially perceived at times. But for me, being that visible role model for communities has really helped um, kind of, I suppose, bring certain sections of the community closer to the police service. Um, my roles across policing um, for the first seven or eight years, I wasn't beating patrol in a response team really enjoyed that. Um, that. That's kind of, for me, that's the cutting edge of policing. That's where you learn your trade and that's where you help people on a daily basis, probably more so than ever. Um, I then moved into the armed response unit, dealing predominantly with gun and knife crime across Northern Ireland for 10 years and then managed to get promoted on the fast track promotion process and currently sitting now as an inspector in our quality, diversity, inclusion unit. Um, and I also that also then led, led to me being the president of the National Black Police Association. So as president of the National Black Police Association, I represent around about 5,000 police officers and police staff members across the UK. Um, that's around about 50 law enforcement and police services across um, the United Kingdom as well. So quite, quite a responsibility, but for me, it's a privilege and it allows me to see um, sort of best practice examples across um, across the United Kingdom and allow us to share those as best we can. Um, in relation to youth and, and how important youth is, for me, the youth of today are, are, are our future. They're our hopes. And for me, 
there are the potential to change the outcomes for others and then really make a difference in society. Um, a lot of my community work have has been based around young people in Belfast and a lot of their issues are around hate crime. So in Northern Ireland, as I said, now the, the population is only about 1.8 to 3% of the population. Um, but but that 1% to 3% of the population are getting more hate crimes than the rest um, through sectarianism. And race hate crime in Northern Ireland has been higher than sectarian hate crime from for, for since 2014. So for me, what, what we had in Northern Ireland was already the foundations of a divided society. So bringing people from different backgrounds into that mix has probably created that, that um, increased um, tension around race. Um, for me, what I always see is the best in people. I think um, my experience of racism, even in the police service and outside, it's all about people initially seeing the difference in me, but then seeing the similarities as they get to know me. And for me, what I wanted to do is create that artificial way of doing that. So what I've used is sport to engage young people. Um, you know, the barriers are there in the uniform. And if we are only enforcing young people and, and in particular young black males or young people from ethnic minorities, then that really will drive them across um, and further and further away from the police service and stop us really being as effective as we can be. Um, so for me, I've worked with the Irish Football Association, I've worked with the Rio Ferdinand Foundation and another programme called Kickoff at Three, which brings young people from different backgrounds together under the auspice of sport. But what we also do then is look at the, the kind of the root causes of crime and some of the issues that those communities face around, you know, deprivation links to inequality and lack of opportunity. And what we do is upskill them. So give them skills um, around coaching qualifications, um, community sports leaders awards. And, and for me, that's really getting empowering the community and building the capacity of the community to help um, look after themselves and become peer mentors. That for me is really, is the way that we are going to tackle the race hate problem in Northern Ireland. It's, it's by bringing young people together, exposing them. That's what's going to break down those myths and misinformation. And for me, then that will lead to a more cohesive society and, and really pushing the youth, I think, is the way of, about doing that. As well as that, you push them in the employability as well. So for me, it's really taking young people, bringing the best out of them and then giving them the amount of opportunities as they can. But um, really looking forward to the, the conversation this evening and you know, happy to get into the issues around institutional racism, stop and search. Um, for me, institutional racism is still a thing in policing. It's still present and the McPherson definition is still applicable to us, unfortunately. Um, but for me, what we need to remember about that is that it's not all about individual officers. It's more about our systems and processes. And again, I'm happy to chat about that later. So um, I think I'm probably picking up my five minutes. So Thank you. And thank you, Andy. That's really fantastic. So our next speaker is Amy Buhari. So Amy, over to you. Hello, good evening. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Amy Bahari. I'm the CEO and founder of the Hebe Foundation. Um, we are a Christian youth organization working across London, um, helping young people to realize and utilize their, their talents and their giftings. Um, I've worked in various capacities over my 28 years of youth worker experience, um, working with the council, working with the police as well, actually, um, together with the community support officers, <coughs> trying to uh, 
bridge that gap and forge that 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 relationship between young people and the police. Um, we mainly work at the Hebrew Foundation with uh, young people from Black and Asian uh, cultures, not exclusively at all, but it just so happens that the areas we work in are more populated by those particular groups. And um, for us, it's, it's an ongoing um, concern, I would say, uh, to be able to, um, have the young people express themselves in a way that does not come about as um, provoking or um, behavior that could be seen by society and the police as um, antisocial and um, potentially criminal. Um, young people are desperately trying to get their voice heard, especially after this year, last year and this year and the, the, the problems and challenges that have come about of that lockdown, you know, COVID, um, obviously George Floyd killing racism, all these different things. There's just so many reasons why young people's voices need to be heard right now. And they do want to speak and they want to speak in a safe platform. Um, there's a lot of emotions going on. It, it turns from anger to frustration to uh, apathy to um, I just there's just no lack of hope or this discouragement. Um, but you can see that there is a need around young people to want to change society, to want to change how they are looked upon by the police, by society in relation to crime and uh, community engagement. Um, I was reading a, a statistic that came out um, that Sadiq Khan was talking about um, how nearly nine out of ten children held in custody on remand in London are from a BAME background. And that is a reality, I would say, um, but it's a very sad one and one that we definitely need to look to um, change, which means we have to work together, we have to be collaborative. And I know, having spoken so many um, to the police, I know that they are making good moves in order to do that. Um, to bridge that gap, to, to, to make that connection with young people. Um, but there is a sense of distrust. There's a sense of distrust there, especially when it comes to uh, our, our black young people and, and Asian as well. You know, um, what if I give to, this, to this, uh, this, this connection, if I give, if I take a step forward, what am I going to get back in return? There's that question that goes on in our young people's minds, you know. Um, if I if I um, uh, answer your questions, or if I provide information, or you know, if I look even like I'm co um, cooperating, even is how would that be taken? How would that be seen? How would that be seen amongst my peers? And how how is the police actually going to respond? Are they going to respond in a way that is actually going to keep me safe? and um, is my voice going to be heard? So we have lots of conversations with our young people around this and thinking on ideas on how we can create a more authentic, a, a real connection with the police, with um, institutions that, that are rooted in trust. And I think trust is the key here. It is really is the key. Um, I had this discussion last year and at the moment, and we spoke about this earlier before we came on air, um, that 
police are seen as enforcers. That's how they're seen, especially in a young person's eye, you know? Even myself growing up in London, um, and even now, like if I'm driving and I see a police car, I, I automatically get a little bit, you know, scared for some reason. And why should I? I'm, 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 I'm not doing anything wrong. Um, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I've lived here all my life, um, but yet I feel a little bit. My, I feel a little bit tense, you know, within myself. And so imagine how our young people feel when they're walking on the street or they're being stopped in their cars, um, you know, or they're, they're pull up, pulled over, whether it's uh, necessity or not, you know. So there's a sense of these are the enforcers, you know, and they're coming to do me wrong. But what we need to do is we need to change the narrative. We need to change the rhetoric and police need to become the encouragers. They need to become the enablers, encouraging our young people to push past uh, societal, cultural, um, economical um, uh, barriers, push past that and to be what they have called to be. We, they need to be encouragers to, um, for young people to uh, feel that they can speak up and talk and knowing that they will be heard and they will be reasoned with. In we'll a stop you there, Emmy. Okay, sorry. That's so, so interesting. I'm sure we're all fascinated, but we want to also hear from the others because you've asked some questions, you provided mm. some answers and people will want to hear more. So now we're going to go to uh, Leanne, um, also in London, and she's going to give us her experiences as well. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, Andy and Amy, that was amazing. Um, and I literally have can back everything, especially that Amy was saying. So I'm actually in Birmingham. Um, and although I look 18, I've been doing youth work for 15 years. Um, and it's the only thing I believe that the Lord called me to do. So it's really special to me. Young people are really special to me. I've worked at youth centres um, across Birmingham, Leeds and London, um, and worked on a cruise ship as a, a, a youth centre manager. Bet you didn't know there was young people on cruise ships, but there are. Um, I recently stepped down as the National Youth Director for the Church God of Prophecy, and I was doing that for four years, which was incredible. Um, and I suppose it, at this point, I kind of want to piggyback, piggyback off of some of the things that Amy said that I thought were really um, interesting. And as you said earlier, um, Jeffrey, you hear from later, mentioned something around it being the police service. And... I don't know, it's really ringing in my head, it's ringing in my heart, the fact that when you are serving, you are helping, you are doing something to help someone else, you are providing a service that is intended around bettering someone else. And I feel like, um, as Amy said, there is a misrepresentation of, of that narrative. I feel like the idea of the police force is something that young people are so not even just young people, even as adults, sometimes we are uncomfortable with the idea of force. And so if there are concepts around the police and around authority that even some adults struggle with, how more so for young people? Young people will struggle with the idea of being told what to do without necessarily understanding a process or understanding a consequence. And so in my time, particularly in youth centres, um, I have really tried to engage with local police officers to get them to come in, which is a 
difficult thing, not for the police officers. I've always actually found that police have been so warm to the idea. It's more convincing my young people to be nice, to be mm. respectful, and to understand that there are actually police officers that care and that want to serve and that want to help. However, if you never give them the opportunity, will you ever see that side of them? And so it's unfortunate, but it is a reality that a lot of our young people almost, they detest the police. They will not cooperate. They will not collaborate. They will not listen. And so it's a shame that people who are called to serve them are not able to do that to their full capacity because there are things like racism, because they have experienced unfair and ill treatment from police. And it seems like the minority are affecting the majority. And so there's thoughts around representation. So young people seeing themselves in the police force and there being forums for the police to also safely share their stories with young people and say, look, like you could do this. You could be serving your community. You could be transforming lives and, and helping in certain ways. So I feel like in a, a time when the world has never seemed less safe, you know, with health, things that are going on with the year that we've just had, there's a massive gap that young people are feeling. Um, and it would be amazing if somehow we can work together with churches, with police, with different organisations to bring these people together because there are police that want to serve. And so I'm really encouraged by this conversation um, and I will not take up much more of your time. Thank you. Thank you, Liam. Liam thank you, Liam. Dari is going to continue that theme for us, and Dari is coming all the way from Dublin. So, Dari. Thank you. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, hi from Dublin. Uh, thank you for having me here. And um, I'm here at the request of the Irish Council of Churches. Uh, my name is Dari Adichiberu. I pastor in uh, a community called Tourist Town in Dublin. Uh, I've been there for the last 18 years now. Um, but I also. Um, created an initiative called TYT Soul. It's an initiative for young people, uh, targeting people in the last class of primary school and the first year of secondary school uh, to try and give them uh, sort of social, a sense of social responsibility. So the idea of, of the, the project is to get them to come up with ideas. And these, these are uh, six schools in total that are around the town with the principals and teachers and everybody. So they come out uh, they identify projects and they go out and do what, you know, there are different levels of activities. We, the adult volunteers, do what is beyond their capacity. So, um, and the whole idea had come up because of an incident that had happened earlier in the community. I'll get back to that in a minute. But I also um, sit on what is called the National uh, Garda Strategy Forum which is the Police um, Diversity Strategy Forum in Ireland. So I have an opportunity to work with them and also on what is known as the Dublin City Interfaith Forum. So I'm quite involved in a lot of things that, that involve diversity on both ends, both working with the police and within the uh, community. Uh, for us in the migrant community in Ireland now, uh, the big uh, elephant in the room for us is the recent killing of uh, a young man, uh, George and Kencho. So uh, while the investigation is going on, but the communication uh, with the community 
by the police had left a lot of work to be done. So uh, where that is now in the communities, there's a lot of goodwill, a lot of trust has been lost. So years of work that we've done, you know, people of good faith, so many people involved in, in all these uh, projects, uh, so many people are deflated. So that's the reality of where we are now. But as a person of faith, you know, uh, sorry, I'm a pastor, you know, pastors will preach, you know, John chapter, uh, sorry, James chapter two, verse 17 says, faith without works is dead. You know, we, we have to get up from being deflated and saying, look, we still have to do something, you know, pick ourselves back up, try and do a few things. So we've been working and trying to see how we can build the trust back. Okay, while we don't get involved with law enforcement or try to delay, but communicate with the community, uh, get people on board, what is really going on. And I have the privilege to actually be training the the, the police here. Just, I wanted that to be out there because those are initiatives that are going on. Uh, yesterday, there's another training going on tomorrow. Uh, interaction with the uh, migrant community. It's just not really just a one-man show, but we're transitioning from that, hopefully after COVID is done, to uh, do town hall meetings. We want to really get all stakeholders involved. We want to get the youths involved. We want to, because the police also have their own uh, perspective, which they share as well. You know, they say, look, Dari, you, you're, you're preaching in the church. Imagine somebody wants to capture something and they come and put the phone to your face. So that's what we face. It's hard for us to do our job. You know, people should be sensitive. So we're hoping we'll get, you know, that kind of town hall style thing uh, going uh, to, to really try and build trust, you know, which is very, very uh, fragile right now. So, but in like a lot of things have been said by Andrew, by Senator Anne, by Senator Lane, with the impact of police on youth culture is just on point, you know? And what we, what we need to know is that's, as far as I'm concerned, that's the way it is with teenage culture, you know, youth culture. And we know generally through social media, every, everything that we, we, we might have experienced that, you know, gang culture is usually uh, glamorized, you know? So uh, as someone that had that kind of background myself, you know, I know when you're a young person, that's what looks cool. It doesn't look cool, you know, cooperating with the police and all that. So that's the reality. But uh, if we have a dialogue going between all parties, we can have at least shared values that we can agree on to build a safe space for everybody. So that's the effort we're making. That's what we're trying to be about in all our involvement. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dari. I'm hearing words like communication, dialogue, encouragement, trust, a safe space. So I'm going to turn now because I'm not sure that um, uh, Baz has been able to join us um, at this point. And if he hasn't, I'm going to turn now to Chief Superintendent Jeff Booth to see if he can pick up on some of those words and talk to us a bit more about what the police are doing or can do. Okay, so uh, good evening to everybody and thank you very much for the invitation. Um, my role, I work within the Metropolitan Police within London. My specific role um, at the moment is focusing on the Metropolitan Police's drive to increase the numbers of females and people from underrepresented groups to join 
the Metropolitan Police. Now I recognize that at this moment in time, uh, that is probably one of the most challenging roles that we, we currently have, because we know confidence within policing is low, confidence within certain sections of the community is at an all time low. So the approach that uh, I am adopting with my team, there are four main pillars behind it. And I think it's vitally important that I outline the approach because it resonates with uh, a lot of what I've heard many of the speakers that have said so far. The, the, the first pillar is about building confidence. The second pillar is about informing people about the opportunities that there are within uh, policing. Then it's looking to inspire people to consider a career within policing. And the final pillar is looking to get people to act by actually applying. Now there's absolutely no way that my team can get people to the stage of listening to what we've got to say until we start to have some of those difficult conversations to listen to some of the questions that they want to ask. Have those questions about stop and search, have those questions about institutional racism. Because until we have those conversations, you will not be in a position where someone is prepared to listen to what we've got to say. So what my team are actively doing is going out into the community. Uh, at the moment, a lot of that is done via uh, Teams, Zoom, uh, via social media because of restrictions due to COVID. And we are looking to engage with as many different groups as possible. So if there's anybody on here that's part of a group that would be interested in having further conversations, we would be very, very interested in having those conversations with you. Because what we are finding is by us being able to demonstrate that we are prepared to listen, because that is the first stage in having any kind of relationship, is being able to show that you've got the respect and that you are prepared to listen to the viewpoints that somebody has got. Quite often by listening and then having the conversation, we can then dispel some of the myths that have built up over time. But at the same time, is to recognize that there are real issues out there. The positive side is that we want to let people know that there are job opportunities within the Metropolitan Police. There are the traditional police officer roles. The new entry routes is that you can join the police and gain a degree at the same time. You can also join the police and not join to become a uniform officer. You can become a de detective, direct entry. Now those are police officer roles, but there are also roles if you're interested in being part of media, if you're part of HR, finance, there are so many different roles within the police service. We have over 31,000 police officer positions within the Met. And in addition to that, over 6,000 police staff roles that cover a multitude of uh, opportunities. But one of the things that I want to be really, really key with, with everybody on this call 
Only by us having direct, honest conversations can we get to a stage where we can work with young people, but also career changes, because the opportunities to join the Met range from the ages of 18 to 57. So it's not just about young people. There will be some people out there that will be looking to change their career. And I'm saying to you that there are real opportunities to join and make a difference. So I believe that's my five minutes, and I'm more than happy to pick up any questions that you have throughout this conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you. Um, and thank you all very much for that. And um, I see that the, the chat um, questions are coming up uh, a lot. And I know that Rosemary is working on those in terms of us being able to respond. But, you know, one of the themes that's coming out of this discussion so far is the trust and how can um, or how should the police and how can the police build better relationship? I want to throw that first of all before we come to the police to answer that. But I wonder if Amy or Leanne or, or Diary just answer that. How do you believe the police? What should the police do to build stronger and better relationship? Let's just have those that question answered by those guys. Then we're going to go to the police um, to get some response from that. Thank you, Liam. So like any good, strong relationship, there needs to be great communication. There needs to be transparency. There needs to be honesty and openness. And I feel like um, there are people, police officers that want to do that. However, is there some kind of trading? Is there some kind of kind of refreshing the, the values of what the police service is about so that they can start to think about how they're approaching young people, how they're speaking to them, how they're keep helping them to keep their dignity. So even if they're in the wrong, helping them to understand that process is different to actually attacking, being forceful. Um, and so I feel like there's things around general basic communication skills um, and an approach to young people that still gives them dignity, still gives them respect, even when they may not deserve it in your eyes but because you are a servant you go with that intention so I feel like those are some of the things that could be done. Thank you. Um, Amy why don't you just come in here Amy and just get your take on this. Yeah I agree with everything Leanne is saying. Um, communication is key. Um, also just like on a practical level you don't need to come in your uniform. Come if you're coming to speak to a young person you know not, not in a uh, context of there's a situation happening but like let's say you you do get that space to come and speak to them you know come as you are first of all they need to see the police as human beings yeah they need to see them as human beings actually this person is potentially could be my brother this person potentially could be my dad this person potentially could be my sister could be my mum. we need to start seeing each other as human beings and equally so the police need to see young people uh that in that way as well this is my son, this is my daughter. And if we have that attitude on both sides, we start to then uh, take away that, 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 that dehumanization kind of thing. We take away the, those, those barriers. So it's about coming as you are and being vulnerable, you know, really, really being vulnerable. When we're working with our young people, sometimes we've got to give of ourselves 
some some you know some, some stories some real life stories of ourselves that's going to be able to meet young person where they're at and connect with them it's about making that connection so i think the police are going to have to be vulnerable the police have to take that they have to take a bigger step than the young people mm. to be honest they're going to need to do that thank you before you come back because I'm, i was particularly interested in um you talk about the community there's a load there and I want, I want to come back to you in a minute though, but let me just, first of all, get Andy to respond to this and then we'll come back to you. And then we get Jeff to say, you know, uh, Jeff to sum that up before um, Rosemary give us one of the questions. Thank you, Andy. Andrew. Yeah, no, no, communication is part of it, but for me, any good relationship is only built up over time. You know, as a police service, I think in, 2014-15 we did withdraw a lot of our community engagement teams part of that was because of budget constraints and I think that has had a big impact and in, in our trust and confidence and our ability to engage particularly with young people but with communities in general you know I, I always say that community engagement is crime prevention and for me from a policing perspective it needs to be seen in that light if we do not create informal touch points where young people and, and police officers can get to meet each other, can start to see the best in society and the best in all communities, and allow the community also to see, as you said, the person beneath that uniform. I think that's where we really start building that trust and confidence. I think policing in the past has been guilty. We often come to black and Asian communities when we're looking something, if I'm honest, it's, you know, we're looking recruitment, we're looking hate crime, you know, and we often just come in we get our photo tech and put it out in our social media channels and that community don't always see us for a long period of time, generally until we're looking to do something else again from them. So for me, it's about doing that engagement whenever the community doesn't need us, just being there, doing genuine engagement, genuine um, kind of initiatives to help um, work with other partners and um, you know really give something back to the community. I think that for me is what will we really build trust and confidence over time. Thank you. Diary, why don't you come in, Diary, and then we'll go to Jeff before we move on. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think um, Andrew's just spot on there. That's, uh, I think, uh, happened right across the border here in Ireland, the budget cuts to committee policing. But the effect of com committee policing was really what was needed, you know, to prevent the situation that we're in right now. So, and like you're saying, I, I don't know how the budget is made, but between crime prevention and law enforcement, I don't know which one cost more but it should be you know re uh addressed you know reviewed and, and find out because uh the community uh engagement police actually uh they they remove the objectification of 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 people you know and stereotypes and everything and they just they brought the human face of the police right to everybody so i have a lot of community police that are personal friends i don't actually see them as police i see them as friends they see me as a friend too, you know, we, we call each other on, on different things. If there's an issue happening, or how can we de-escalate this? And I, I actually go to places on their behalf, you know, I go to speak to people. And that and that's it, you know, no no, no uh, um, need to send out the squad car and all those kind of things. So um, I think we need to really, you know, the, the, as a community, as a society together, really need to re-examine you know, the culture of policing and the society that we want to produce. Is it harmonious or where people are objectified and, and, and they're in different pockets all over the place? Or do we want the police service that uh, really engages with people as ordinary people and they have friends there, they know them, 
on first name basis. Uh, and you can, so you, of course, you will always have criminal elements, but you now can, you know, isolate them. They, they, they won't have the encouragement. Thank you. Jeff, I know, I know that um, you're here in this big, you know, metropolis of London and um, with all sort of things. And Dario is right, you've got your criminal aspect, but you've got your respectable people, the law abiding people. You know, Jeff, how do you see it? Well, I think um, I wouldn't disagree with what I've heard so far, but I would put a slightly different context to it. And what I mean by that is we, if we're talking about underrepresented groups, if we're talking about uh, the black community, we've got to change our mindset. And what I mean by that is we need to move away from this them and us type mentality, where we're talking about young people against the police or black people against the police. And the reason I say that is until we move away from that and recognize that we, i.e. the black community, underrepresented groups, have the right to expect a service from the police, just as they have a right to expect from the health service or education. They have a vested interest in the police service and should be holding the police service to account. But also there's a responsibility for us. If we wanna bring about change, we have got to have more representation from diverse groups inside the police to bring about the changes that we need. If you talk about young people, where are the parents? Where are the adults that are bridging the gap to enable these conversations to take place? There is a collective responsibility across the board that if we want to see this change, we all have to play a part in it because if you're gonna have a relationship, it's a two-way process. The police have a lot of work to do, but we also need young people, parents, adults to be stepping up to make sure that we have a service that we actually want and that requires an invested interest and participation in bringing about the service that we want. Thank you, thank you for that. Rosemary? I'm going to uh, just take one of our questions, um, which, which just sits right within what you've just said, um, Jeff. It says, my son wanted to be a, a policeman, but due to the problems that's been happening, um, particularly in the last year, he's said, why when we have black policemen and women, we're still having this issue of misunderstanding and bad treatment of black people? Can I ask that one? Yep. Because we don't have enough in the organization. We need to have more. The, the proportion of black and underrepresented groups within the policing service is woeful. But what is even more worrying is that we don't have enough females and underrepresented groups at the most senior levels, because it's at those levels you can bring about the real change. That does take time. And all I would say to the, the young person that considered a career in policing, 
do not be put off. We want people to consider a career in policing. It is not easy, but it is rewarding because it is a service. You are giving back to people. It's one of the most rewarding vocations. It's not a job, it's a way of life, but it's very, very challenging. And what I'm saying to you, the changes that I'm talking about, I'm realistic. It's not gonna happen overnight, but if we want, really want that change to happen, we've got to ask ourselves, what are we each doing to bring about that change? It's very easy to point the fingers and saying that this isn't happening, but we've got to ask ourselves, what are we prepared to do to bring about the changes that we all should want? Thanks, Jeff. I'm going to just go to Andy for that. Andy, you talked about institutional racism and people are asking, how are the police addressing institutional racism within the organization? And what's happening with regard to public, you know, how do people, how do the public know um, what's happening in that regard? Yeah, no, I mean, like uh, institutional racism has been a label that policing has really struggled with. It's one that they've denied an awful lot of the time. And I think in denying the fact that institutional racism is a real thing, that it's present in policing, I think that's denying community experiences. And I think that's what erodes trust and confidence. You know, as I said, it's not up to the police service to say whether we are or not. I personally think we are. But for me, you know, the, the, I was chatting to Stuart Lawrence earlier today, you know, Stephen Lawrence's younger brother, about a few things we're working on and the impact that, that the way the Metropolitan Police at that time viewed Stephen, viewed his family and the way that they treated them afterwards, you know, that, that added to their trauma and losing their son and that led to the McPherson inquiry and the report that, that followed. For me, that was a, a watershed moment that was, you know, monumental in any terms that brought about the definition of institutional racism, definitions from hate crime and a number of other things for us. Um, I don't think it's up for us to say we are or we aren't. I think when the community tell us that we are, and I think we do have a firm enough evidence base to say that we are and that the community are telling us so, then it's for us to listen, to actually listen to what's being done, admit that the problem exists, and then we can put measures in place to alleviate that. For me, I think the constant denial is what's eroding that or, or stymieing or actual um, potential to actually change it. You know, it's I, I would have done, um, you know, sort of psychological therapy and stuff as well at different times and, and, you know, part of my life as well. And anybody that's alcohol dependent cannot overcome that issue without first admitting that they have a problem. To say that you don't drink anymore or we're, that we're not as racist as we used to be isn't going far enough and it isn't ever going to overcome the problems completely. So I think policing have tried over the last 20 years, probably to move on this issue. I think they've, they've brought in some well-intentioned measures, but for me, the key thing that was missing was those internal cultural assets, like um, those people I represent in the National Black Police Association, like Jeff, you know, police officers from Black, Asian, minority, ethnic backgrounds, actually taking charge and driving some of these actions. For me, that's what was missing, that, that real cultural competence and, and that lived experience around the issues. But the denials of it that, that for me is, is the key to the kind of starting the process of healing and reconciliation. Thank you so much, Andy. I want to turn to the young people, to the people who work with young people. We've heard Jeff talk about the opportunities. I mean, Andy's been very blunt and, and told us exactly what it's like, but what it's also needed. Have you had conversations um, with young people about joining the police force? I'm, I'm talking to Leanne, I'm talking to Ami. Um, 
have you had any conversations with young people? Because you do work with young people and try to bridge the gap. Have you heard any conversations? Yeah, so uh, not so much in my role now because I work in a different kind of um, arena, but previously in youth centres, I absolutely have because there are young people that I have met across my years of doing youth work that I think are so passionate about helping other people, are passionate about it sounds strange, but following rules, they know their rights, they want to be right and they want to make sure that people are safe and they have a real care. And it may not be directed in the way that um, we'd hope it might be, but the potential for them to be able to serve as a police officer protecting their community where they've been brought up, you know, their brothers and sisters, their neighbours is really great. And so we did invite um, a group of officers in over, I think it was over about four weeks. And the conversation, the first two weeks, it was vile. The young people gave them hell, but they came back for the next two weeks and the respect level the young people had for them increased because they thought, okay, you weren't, as, you weren't weak. Like we gave you a hard time, but you stuck with it. And that was the beginning of quite a good relationship. It wasn't with lots of officers, but there were two in particular that stood out and I know that they've had um, really good lasting memories on young people so that's definitely something I would encourage is it an easy conversation absolutely not mm. okay and and um, Amy yeah I mean we've had that conversation uh, sporadically around some occasionally you get a young person who says I would like to join uh, the police um, if it's in a group setting majority of the time other young people will give them a look or will say something that will, if that young person isn't strong enough, will shut them down. Um, we're all about you using your gifts and talents to further yourself and, and your community. So uh, we don't discourage anybody anybody at all if they would say they wanted to go into the into the police. Um, so it's it's in honesty, it's been few. It's been a, a few. Um, but yeah, then they need to want to serve, to want to um, protect you know, and that might come from something that's happened, uh, an incident in their life, an experience in their life that they feel that now the way to go will be a route of protection. I need to protect my family. I need to protect myself. And they say they see the police has been as a as an, a career choice that would be able to do that. But in reality, the, the, the amount of young people who, who say to us, I want to join the police force is is very small. Mm -hmm. from where we operating um but there, there are so many benefits to it and like jeff said there are so many different jobs within uh the, the police it's not just to be a policeman or woman or a detective or constable you know there's so many different varieties of jobs and i think that just needs to be um publicized even more than it already is and i know they're doing a lot of work around that but you know just saying these are the different routes these are the different things you can do you know and really that whole let's work from the inside out yeah mm. okay let's just yeah. just just to say that um we we should have had with us um baz the chair of the south Wales police um police association with us uh, we're still hoping he could join us there's been a bit of technical problem there, but um, Baz, we really appreciate you keep trying so that we can hear from South Wales this evening. Um, th there's a theme coming through um, in terms of youth workers are saying, actually, when we have had police in talking to young people, um, it can be a bit rough, but with consistency, 
um, it gets smoother. Now, it was interesting, I was speaking to some youth workers last night, and they were saying the same thing, that, you know, doing things with young people online, it was tough, but they met them, um, and after a few weeks, you know, it was really great stuff. Now, again, I think one of the myths is that people think that police is always there, and there's a lot of pressure on police. There's been cuts, there've been people moving, there are some real obstacles. And I wonder if, if Jeff or Andrew could tell us about some of those obstacles, because I think sometimes the police score own goals in terms of not being consistent, moving officers, and also shortage of police officers. What are some of those things? Because if we're getting police officers working with young people or meeting them and it's working, why don't we continue building those bridges? Jeff? Yeah, so um, there's many layers to 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 your to your question, but I think the um, the real challenge that uh, the police service face is more often than not when you're de you're looking at dealing with a, a, an issue, whether or not it's uh, knife crime, serious youth violence, the most effective way of tackling it is. Uh, a kind of a multi-agency approach, which requires police in partnership with uh, education, local authorities, and also the business sector. Because quite often, speaking to young people, you speak to them and many of them will turn around and say, right, what are my opportunities? What is there out there for me? And quite often, many of them go choose a life of crime because they feel that they're not going to get a fair break within society as a whole because their stereotype there's the stigma and all the other things that go with it now in order for that young person to have that change in mindset that cannot be done solely by the police we have got to work with other partner agencies but what has already been said is due to austerity cuts if you're getting local authorities having reduced budgets. If you're seeing within education, more pressures on teachers. And if you look at exclusion rates within some schools and you look at the disproportionate numbers of young people from underrepresented groups that are being excluded, is it any wonder that the engagement more often with police is from a negative perspective? So in terms of solution, it needs to be a multi-agency approach, but what more than, more than normally happens is the police are seen as the problem. Whereas more often than not, we need to change that view. And if you then also ask uh, a, a commander of, a, of a, a geographical area, if they are faced with the stark reality of rising knife crime, and they are being asked to tackle those issues to save lives. Quite often, they will make a decision to move some of those community officers that they would like to keep there. But they are, their priority is dealing with the here and now in saving lives. And that's the difficult balance that commanders face. I face that myself. In an ideal world, you'd like to keep those officers engaged in schools engaged in youth engagement but if you are being tasked with saving lives 
you will move those officers to prevent that from happening. It's a very, very difficult challenge to face. Jeff, I know that, uh, I think the very first time I met you was at a funeral service for a young boy who was stabbed to death and, or a memorial service. That's, I think, the first time I met you. And yes. what was fascinating in one sense, in that very sad environment, in, in one sense, was there were a lot of people there who were willing to do good, to offer their service. They don't want to be trained as police officers, but they had skills. There were teachers there. There were mothers there. There were grandparents. Um, somebody put in the chat, what about faith groups, whether churches or other faiths? What about local people who have no faith, but they're doing some fantastic piece of work? What about those kind of collaboration um, and using those people? And for me, those are the soft touch. Um, what's happening in that circle? Because um, we run something called Synergy, um, and we've got a lot of organizations that's linked to us who are all doing fantastic work. What about the collaboration there? Is that working? Well, um, to say to you, Les, and Rosemary, one of the reasons why I'm here is because of the fact that I am looking to be working with the faith community, with charities. In fact, we will work with anybody and everybody that wants to make a positive change. It cannot be done solely by policing. I talk about multi-agency, but it's also working with faith leaders, key influencers that are not part of any group, but they have a standing within the community. But what it needs is that joint up approach. Quite often, it's more effective if it's not police led, because if it's community led, they feel that they are steering and we are there as a partner to move stuff forward. But this is such an important issue, and it's one of those things that I'm really, really passionate about, is that I, yes, I'm focused on recruitment, but I know that this is a long-term commitment. I am not looking to come along and say, join the Met Police, and in five minutes we're going elsewhere. For me, this is a four to five year commitment, at least, to deliver this, because we've got to have those conversations. Andy has said, if you're gonna build a relationship, it does not happen overnight. We have got mm. to show that we are doing this for the long term. Thank you. I, just I just wanted to check, Les, just while we're there. Can I just check if Baz is with us? I can see his name. I'm not sure if he's actually been able Hi. to. Yeah, I, I am. Um, can you hear me? I, we can hear you. So it would be really good because I know you haven't had the opportunity because of technology. And I know we can't see you, but could you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about um, what you do? And you've heard perhaps some of the what we've been talking about. So maybe you can add a little to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, real huge apologies. Um, Typical, I never have a problem with Zoom. And for some reason today, um, my tablet just won't, won't, won't work for me. Um, and it's probably a, an advantage that you can't see me actually. Um, but, but um, you know, I, I just wanted to pick up on a few points. Um, uh, oh yeah, if, if I 
very quickly tell you a little bit about, about myself. Um, I'm a police officer of 23 years service. Um, I, I was born in India. Um, I came over here when I was um, two, three years old. Um, always wanted to join the police. I joined later in life because when I initially wanted to join, um, they had a height restriction. And being, um, how can I say, vertically challenged, I couldn't get in when I left school. So I, I went to work for a bank. Uh, and then I found out that they had dropped the height restriction. So late 90s, I joined. Around about the time of this, you know, the McPherson report around the Stephen Lawrence murder. Um, so there was a lot of tension in the community that I was from, which was Riverside in Cardiff which is quite a multicultural um, area of Cardiff. Um, and, I, and, and, you know, I'd always wanted to join the police, but I had friends uh, and even my, my brothers saying, you, know, you shouldn't join the police, um, but I was determined then. So I can see some of the, the issues that the youths have when, when they're getting this. Um, but, the, but the couple of points that I've picked up um, whilst I've been listening to, some fantastic speakers um, is, is, is around consistency. And I, I've got to agree with um, Superintendent Jeff Booth around, you know, consistency is so important. Um, you know, in my 23 years, I, I've worked in areas uh, and, I, and I speak to, to faith group leaders, uh, different places of worship. And, and the one thing they used to tell me is, do you know what? We know when promotion season is because that's when the officers decide to come visit the church or that's when they come to visit the mosque. Um, you know, it's very frustrating. And, and the other part of consistency is in the past, you know, we, we the South Wales Police as, as a force, we, we recruit, we, we got someone to do recruiting for six months to tick the box and then it was gone. There was nothing, once people were in the job then, there was no sense of retention or progression. Um, and that, that again, as, as chair of our um, BPA, Black Police Association in South Wales, was very frustrating. Um, now, luckily, the, the good news is in the last five years, we, you know, um, and, and this is down to, to the leadership, um, they've actually employed myself and, and another officer to, to full time to go into places of worship, community centres, um, and we've got a really good plan uh, in terms of recruiting and we're getting some really good successes um, in that we will get names of people who are interested, we'll go out there, we'll do, we'll dispel some myths, and then every single person who says, do you know what, yeah, I want to find out more, we will allocate them the mentor when it comes to the application forms. We, we do upskill sessions. When it comes to the assessment center, we will do upskills for that. Um, you know, positive action. And, and that, that's really worked. We've gone from under 1% um, to just over 3%. I know that's not great numbers, but when you think, you know, when, when you've already got a small amount of people within the blacks, within the service who are from a, a BAME, background then then it does make a difference um but yeah sorry I, and i know we were steering away from recruitment but i just wanted to an opportunity just just to give my point of view in, in terms of consistency so uh, apologies again for not being here earlier um no thank and, you and thank you
Thank you for joining us. Um, one of the things, one of the questions that's asked, and I want to make sure that we continue to work with our, speak to our youth leaders, but people have been asking, what support do you police officers, you um, uh, UKME police officers get? Because obviously in an institution where racism still abounds and you're out there working on the front line of, of engaging with the community, do you get support? Do you want, uh, should I cut, cover that? Uh, well, why don't Andy start first and then? Yeah, well, I think given, given the role of the National Black Police Association, you know, officers and staff members, well-being across the board, just for, for general police officers, haven't been great. In recent years, there have been a lot more um, put into this area. Um, you know, the National Black Police Association, the local Black Police Associations, which Baz is, is chair of, you know, they are, for me, the, the staff associations that are there to support those officers. Um, not every Black, Asian, minority, ethnic officer or staff member is a member of the MBPA, but we are there to support those officers when they need us the most. We never turn anybody away. So there are networks around there. I think having people, uh, like for me, a lot of the time it is about isolation. It's about being isolated in the workplace, maybe finding that, that you're getting certain treatment. That can sometimes make you a little bit paranoid and think that you are overreacting whenever you're sitting in a room speaking to somebody that are having similar experiences that understand where you're coming from. That for me is a support that we offer. We also then do a lot of support around um, how we kind of, I suppose, mentor and, and create that next senior leadership um, kind of roles for, for ethnic minorities as well. But the rigors and stressors that ethnic minority officers face is definitely compounded by their ethnicity. And it's on top of the everyday stresses that they already have because you know, policing is a deeply traumatic um, career. It is, you know, you, you go to some of the most horrendous incidents that you could ever imagine. Um, being in the armed response unit, we just dealt with, with general gun and knife crimes, so a lot of gunshot wounds, a lot of stabbing incidents as well. So seeing that over time can have an impact on a lot of people and having that kind of safe space to vent in that area where you can speak to people that are um, from a similar background, I think for me personally is key to, to making sure that, that people are fit and healthy and, and able to, to kind of cope and deal with those pressures. But racism is definitely still an issue. You know, it's enforced the amount of people that we support um, across the board is still there. And again, the, the issues that they face can be from lack of training, lack of um, temporary promotion opportunities, lack of opportunity in general, in force um, and then when they do actually become whistleblowers or chat about the discrimination they're facing sometimes uh, the organization can come down and kind of almost defend the actions of the person that has actually discriminated against them um, for a number of reasons but that then adds to the impact and I think we're creating a lot of secondary trauma in our officers and staff which needs to be dealt with better. Thank you um, and maybe um, Baz and then Jeff please. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I just reiterate everything Andy says as a support uh, organisation, the BPA and the NBPA will, will fully support all our, you know, Black Asian minority ethnic uh, officers. And, and you know, I, I sort of touched on what we're doing in our force in that, you know, we don't just recruit you know we got to make sure there's a, an avenue for retention and, and and progression because we know the figures aren't great for, for officers who are at the top of the line um also when our colleagues are out on the front line you know they are going to face 
racism and and a lot of them are uh, you know are going to be victims uh, of hate crime and, and what i've started doing say or, or our bpa have done in our force is every single person who officer or member of staff who faces any discrimination um, either from members of the public or internally are automatically referred to myself and then we will offer that support and i think that's that's really important um so uh, you know there, there is support there and, and and i mentioned about what happened previously and and i think most police forces in the UK now have putting a greater emphasis on, on health and well-being. I know our force certainly has, and I'm sure that echoes across all the forces and how, how much that is important, the, the mental well-being as, as well as the physical well-being. So, you know, there is that support and, and certainly the NBPA and, and the local BPAs, you know, are part of that welfare and support. Thank you. Um, Jack, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I'll just, just build on what has been said. I know there's been a lot of focus on race, but I think we also need to be mindful of the challenges that are faced by females and females from underrepresented groups. And that is also an area that we've got to be actively uh, focused on. Uh, you, you imagine a female from an unrepresented group, it's like a double jeopardy. So there is a lot of work that is going on. One of the things that within, uh, I'll say within the Met Police, we are not very good at advertising and making it aware about the, the raft of measures and support that is provided. Uh, staff support associations do a fantastic job. Uh, health and well-being is there, but we need to be able to demonstrate to people what support is being provided. Uh, there was talk previously about uh, Black Lives Matters. There were a number of officers from public order that were from minority backgrounds that were out there on the front line getting additional abuse. Now, what we had to do is make sure that at the end of their duty, before they booked off, we had that wraparound service, giving them that additional support, making them aware that they were supported. But it's how do we then continue that? Because sometimes the stress that they do feel can manifest itself at later stages. So there is a lot of work that is being done. There's a lot more that can be done but we need to make sure that people are aware that those services are there for them to support them. Thank you so much. Just picking up one of the questions, it was about parenting. And I don't think that there was, a, there was a, an intention to blame um, parents for, um, you know, not raising their children properly and, and being part of the problem. But I think what um, was being said was that parents are part of the solution. But one of the things that um, we found in the work that we're doing in Croydon between the community and the police group that meets together is the recognition is that when you work with a young person, you must also find ways to work with their families as well, because it is that context from which they come that you need, we all need to understand. So for our uh, young people and for Dari, do you do work with um, the family of, of the young people that, that you are working with? 
Yes, uh, by all means, thank you very much. Um, because of the church setting, so that provides the uh, ample opportunity for us to do that. So uh, we wouldn't actually uh, walk in isolation with any young uh, person. We will have the parents involved and with an ongoing uh, support for them and uh, assessing their needs and what they need to, need to um, go on to. And with that kind of approach, it always works well because the, the young people, sometimes they might have the difficulty at home and they can't communicate with you and you're going to bring the parents into confidence in a safe place and that always works for them all the time. So I think that's that's a perfect approach to go. Uh, dealing with them in isolation, particularly in the context where we operate, where we have um, uh, the, the second generation of migrants, this is the first uh, generation of children, uh, they have that identity crisis. They, most of them have to do with, with, their, with their parents from maybe the African or whatever original background they came from, and they're living in, in an environment uh, with their friends that are, are expecting them to conform to the norm. So if the families are not involved, you can't handle the identity crisis that is even causing internal conflict for the young people. Thank you. Leanne? Um, so can you repeat the question just a second? It's, it's about that, the, the nexus around young people, because we, we know that no one person exists just as an, as an atom. And so when you do work with the young people, do you also find ways to connect to their wider group, particularly their families? Absolutely. I think that's probably one of my one of my other joys is getting involved with the family. And I think it's for me, it's easier to work with the family and the young person than just work the young person. For many reasons, it's a dual, it's a win-win situation. The parent or guardian understands that if they um, are struggling to get through to a young person about a particular thing, they will come to the youth worker. I've had it many a time when a mother has called and he's saying, Leanne, if you don't talk to such and such, such and such, I don't know what's going to happen because they're so overwhelmed with what's going on. And so the only way you can fully or support a young per person as much as possible is to be involved in their family, family mm -hmm. life. And that's easily done when you are living in the community you work in, because it's almost like you're just embedded into that community. So, you know, if you needed a, a cup of sugar, you could go to that parent's house, you could go to the shop, but you could go to the parent's house to build that relationship and ask them and they will give it to you. When I left the youth centre, I was working at for five years in North Birmingham. It was the parents that put on my leaving due, not the young people. And so that was a reminder to me that, yeah, you should always, as far as possible, be working with the parent as well as the young person. Thank you. Ami? <laughs> Yeah, I agree. It's it's so so key to have. Uh, you can't work with a young person and uh, isolate them, isolate your interaction from from the parents and every other um, uh, people who are involved in their upbringing. To be honest, you know, uh, same way we should be working with teachers, same way we should be working with the police, same way we should work with every. Um, everybody who has a part in bringing up a young person in society. So working with parents and carers is key. I, you can only do as much as you can do. We have a lot of parents and carers who just do not engage. They just, they, they have no interest in, in wanting to build a relationship with us. But we always uh, try and connect with them. And it provides a rich experience for a young person um, there's a lot more growth there when we have a relationship with the parents and the carers um, it's you know like Leanne said you, you build up that relationship and they come to you 
they come to you for advice we do a lot of stuff with parents that don't even relate to their young people per se you know they'll come and they'll talk to us about issues that they've got going on that really aren't actually uh part of a young person's experience or anything like that but nevertheless it will have an impact on that young person because their mood their attitudes whatever will will filter down to that young person so um it's key it's key in providing a rounded holistic uh service for our young people and support network questions from you les before we start to think about final questions I'm hearing Dari speaking about community, working with the police, being that person in the middle. I've heard Amy, I've heard Leanne talking about that. Um, um, what I want to ask you guys, um, obviously you guys are seeing the thing from on the floor, grassroots. What are some of the struggles or challenges for you? Because, you know, when I see you, Amy, you're working right across London and you've got your connection outside. William, what are some of the challenges um, that you're facing in terms of your youth work? And, you know, what about funding? Someone's put in there, you know, how do you guys do these things? Because I believe that you guys are part of the solution in terms of bridging that gap between the young people on the ground, the parents, and, and the police. Yeah. Um, well, I'll take the funding aspect. That's always an ongoing concern. To be honest, there's never enough to go around. Um, there's different organizations and, and trust funds and maybe some small amount of government initiative that um, wanna provide some money or local government. Um, there's always stipulations around it. It's to work with a targeted group or a particular outcomes that they want to reach. So you need to kind of either change your, your program to make it fit which then often means that you're going to get a little bit diluted, um, you know, uh, or you you have to try and find it elsewhere. Uh, us being Christians, we just a lot of time you're praying, <laughs> you're praying, and 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 God provides somehow, some way. But it's never enough for the work because there's so much work out there that needs to be done. It's 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 ridiculous, um, and so you know you're literally living hand to mouth when it comes to uh, the funds. Um, but what I will say is that. Um, there is it's like there's there's an there's an uh trying to put it in a way that it would be make understood um when you're working with young people there needs to be consistency with which we've all said and so you need yeah. something that that uh provides for that the you can do lots of different stuff over here and over there but you need that constant scene there for a young person you know and yeah, that, get that. that kind of core funding that's what's needed to be able to say i'm here for you you yeah. know and whether it's the, the four o'clock call in the morning in the middle of the morning or it's the, the six o'clock call at night or you know just sitting there and mediating between them and parents whatever it is it's just that constant work that needs to be funded and that's where the struggle comes I can fund the football projects I can find funding for that that's great but I need funding for the every day we every hear you day we hear you Le Leanne what, what what are the challenges there um Amy hit the nail on the head I, I genuinely feel like the biggest challenge is around fundraising fundraising finances just because you have um a lot of people who volunteer their time 
Um, so this is the flip side of it, but they cannot fully commit necessarily because they have to have a full-time job. They've got a family. Um, yeah. And a lot of the time it is around finances. I think also sometimes being able to access resources is, can be challenging. Um, and so people offering things or reducing the price of things to accommodate the kind of programs that we might need to put on for an occasion would be helpful. Um, as well as some support. I remember when I um, did my youth work degree, um, my lecturer said, youth work is a thankless job. You will never hear a thank you. And actually having um, a space where you can meet other people or just be kind of imparted into, so almost like encouraged to continue going, that's something that is invaluable. Knowing that you're being wow. grateful and encouraged is something that, yeah, you just, yeah, there's no words knowing that someone is praying for you while you're doing what God has called you to do. Thank you. Um, Diary, you just hold it there, but because we want you, probably want you to finish off. But what I want to ask the police officers, and if all three could respond to this, because, you know, where time is going from us, um, can you tell us something of the good work that the police is doing? Because often we hear bad news. We get all the big bad news. But, you know, I've been working with the police for over 25 years doing different things, okay? And yet I know that there's some good things. Just tell us some of the good things that are happening. Um, Andy? <clears throat> yeah, so, so locally in Northern Ireland, as I said, the, the reason the MBPA, the reason that that challenge is needed because that needs to be the catalyst for change and that needs to be really the, the not just the challenge but the solution along with it and I think policing has, has locally anyway we've definitely responded um, to that you know we have just funded um, a number of um, initiatives with the Rio Ferdinand Foundation and with smaller grassroots um, organizations that target black and Asian communities in particular um, and, and for me, again, it's about bringing those young people together. And it's, it's those programs that I've discussed earlier. They've also got us heavily involved now in, um, and that's the Black Police Association involved in upskilling their neighbourhood teams, making them aware of the cultural differences and, and the unique needs at each community. Because sometimes we do look at community just as one homogenous group, but it's not. It's understanding that each community and section of the community is different and needs a different policing approach and stay to actually meet their needs. Um, so that's been really useful as well. You know, unconscious bias training was spoken about, but as the president of the MBPA as well, nationally, I've been engaging with a lot of stakeholders. The National Police Chiefs Council at the minute are implementing a race action plan, which we're hoping will bring about wholesale fundamental changes to policing across the UK. We've also engaged more so with the HMIC, with the IOPC, and, and with all of those people that hold police in the account. It's about getting into that kind of prevention and change bit. And I think, you know, because of the, the death of George Floyd, because of the rise of Black Lives Matter and the highlighting of these issues, it has really been a catalyst. You know, I think policing is listening. For us now, it's just about turning those words into action. And I'm hopeful that, you know, as we move on, that, that confidence Thank can increase. Thank you. Uh, uh, Baz? Yeah, I, I would sort of echo what Andy said. You know, um, one of the striking things for me, certainly last year, was when all the, the, the Black Lives Matter came to a front uh, following the awful murder of, of George Floyd, was how a lot of, or most police forces, you know, um, certainly the chief officers, uh, supported the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, uh, you'd think there would be an automatic um, uh, disconnection with that. 
So I, I think that's, that, that was great. In terms of what, what, what good things we're doing, certainly, uh, you know, there, there's the BPAs all over the, the UK are doing lots of community engagement. I know what we're doing here is, you know, looking to go into um, schools that are predominantly um, made up of, uh, you know, uh, Black and Asian uh, pupils. We're going in there, we're doing um, things like natural born leaders, um, giving interview skills, preparing them for life. So I, I think there's a, there is a lot of good work that just isn't recognised because, um, well, I suppose the press only want the bad news. You know, you, you, you do one bad thing and, and 10 people hear about it. You, you, you know, you do one good thing and, and two people hear of it. But I think there's great work um, in all forces and all BPAs and uh, we just don't hear about it. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Baz. Jeff. I would say that there is uh, a real effort being made, and it was made earlier, is about how we humanize our officers. We have a, uh, a program which we call Behind the Badge, where we encourage our officers to go to local uh, radio stations, media outlets, and start to uh, demystify who they are, give that human sight. And that starts to break down the barriers where people feel more comfortable having conversations. And I'll just touch on one, one final point, which was about parents. I had a, a conversation with a mother of a young, young boy, uh, say boy, is um, about 18, young man. And we were having a conversation via uh, the internet. He came in, his mother stopped talking. He said to her, who are you talking to? And she said, don't, don't worry about it. And then he walked out. And she then said, I was embarrassed to say to you, to him, that you were a police officer. And I thought, why, why is that? And she said, because I know he wants to join the police service, but I as a parent am worried about him. And I now realize that's something that I as a parent have to, have to overcome because he wants to join, I need mean now to work, work out what is it within my mindset that's preventing him from taking the opportunity. The fact that we were able to have that conversation demonstrates that we are heading in the right, right direction. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I know that in the, in the chat, people have been asking um, about Richard. Richard is the one who set this all up this evening. Uh, I want to just say thank you, Richard, for doing and churches um, together in Britain and Ireland. Thank you all very much for doing that. And Richard is our technical guy behind the scene. And I just want to acknowledge that. Um, let's go back to Diary. Diary, just help us to summer. You're a pastor. Um, you'll be working in the community. You'll be working with the Garda there. You know, just help us to sum this evening up because, you know, that's what we do as pastors, don't we? We give people hope. It's not all terrible. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, I, I think the summary will just be communication. Because even listening to all what we've been talking about now, we can hear um, some uh, perspective of the police. Some things that's going on behind the scene, that's not big, because we just expect them, they're quite objectified. We want them to respond immediately, but they have processes. So at times they want some things from us and we have cultural backgrounds, we have uh, personal limitations, all kinds of things. 
you know, that doesn't allow the, the interaction. So communications, creating platforms for, for communications will always be better. And regarding the funding for youth work, the law does provide, I know, uh, just like uh, uh, Amy and, and Lynn said, you know, we really at times well, work with what is already on ground. And there are many initiatives that we have to adjust, just like you're saying, so that they can provide some resources. And uh, with that, I think we just keep making, uh, even if the tiniest step in the right direction is better than no step. I don't think doing nothing is not an option for us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I just wanted to say, Les, that in the chat, there's been quite a few um, questions and queries about the information that um, that Jeff was talking about, about how to join, about where people would learn and to get more information. So all I can say is perhaps if people want to um, get that information, perhaps uh, offline, they'll contact uh, Richard, Richard Reddy through CTBI, and he'll be able to put them in touch with um, with Jeff so that they can we can disseminate that information about uh, what, what, what are the opportunities uh, somebody asked about nationality and whether you've got to be a British citizen, but it doesn't matter, that can be done offline. But I, th I thought I wanted to just say to Jeff to encourage him to say that there are, there are, there have been questions people asking about the opportunities that are, well, that, that are out there. That's, that's great to hear. And even if people don't want to join, but they want to have the conversation, uh, we're more than happy to, to, to have that conversation. So we will... If Richard can send us their details, we will be in contact. Uh, and I think the other but, thing before, before Les sums up was just to say, I think this is, well, for me, one of the first times that we've been able to bring people from um, Northern Ireland, from, um, from the Republic of Ireland, from Wales, from the Midlands and from London, all together, youth workers, church workers um, and the police talking as a community about key issues for the black and minority ethnic community in this country and for the bridge building that's needed between young people um, and the police. So I'm, I'm really thrilled to have been able to be part of it and to listen to the work that you're doing and to the solution-based approach that you, that you use in your work every day. Thank you for me. Thank you. And, and once again, before we close, and we are going to be on time, we've got a minute left. I want to very much thank Churches Together Britain and Ireland and Synergy Network. But I also want to thank our panel, Amy. I want to thank you, Andy, Baz. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Liam. Thank you, and Diary. Thank you all very much for this evening. Please remember that this session was recorded. So in a few days time, you'll be able to download it. Um, go to the Churches, um, Church, um, Churches Together in Britain and Ireland website, and you'll be able to download this, um, this evening webinar. But let me also say the final last word. I want to say to our police officers, thank you very much for all the years of service that you have given to serve your community. And we, I want you to know that we, the church, are praying for you guys and your families and your well-being. So thank you. And Leanne and me, I want to thank you very much as youth workers. Um, you've been at it for years. I want to thank you. And I know that you represent thousands of youth workers um, across the United Kingdom. We want to say thank you for what you're doing. Please keep doing that. And we just want to also just say to you, Diary, thank you very much 
for joining us. We were hoping to have someone from Scotland, but we didn't quite make it. But Scotland, great to know that some good things are happening in Scotland. Thank you all very much for joining from me and from um, Rosemary. Thank you all very much. Have a good evening. Good night. Take care. Good night. Thank you. Truth to Power podcast is produced by Churches Together in Britain and Ireland. The music is by Nikolai Heidlis, used under a Creative Commons licence.